Oh my God, I'm chilling. What happened? Oh my God. Oh, I just can't. What? Rach, a martini at 9 a.m.? <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Well, it just occurred What's to me the problem? the fact that no one can see you really means that um, I could be in the life ruining business. Wait, what do you mean no one can see me? Well, most people, actually YouTubers can, hey, so they knew that I was lying. But the fact that the listeners can't see us gave me an opportunity to potentially ruin a life. So I went for it by suggesting that you had a martini at 9 a.m. Wait, that is so interesting because I was just thinking about in the Jamie Faith episode, which at this point is last week's episode, when I was reading the text messages that were read in court, I could have easily also just said, and dad, don't forget, this is your daughter, Rebecca. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. Missed ops. Missed opportunity. I do not think he listens. Thank God. Because we know that guy can't tell our voices apart. No, he can't. No, he cannot. So Never could. That's funny that you said that. <sighs> yeah, that's weird. Okay. Welcome, everyone. We're, as um, suggested to us, we are going to start doing Patreon shout outs at the end. Um, I do have a custom one, too, so it'll be good. Because y'all don't care about hearing us just say random names, unless one of those names is yours. Right. But if it is, you'll stick with us till the end. So. We love that. We love it. Uh, real quick, my friend from D.C. who lives in New York now started a podcast studio called High Bar Media, which is focused mainly on the history of pop culture. And their first show is called You Had to Be There. And it is such a cool concept. All right, listen. Each week, they have a different host that takes on the task of finding and interviewing someone who is at these like iconic pop culture moments, but there's a catch. The host doesn't know what the assignment is ahead of time, and they only have 48 hours to find the person they're going to interview. So it's kind of like a reality show because they're documenting everything along the way, like frantically calling people, networking, trying to find someone who witnessed these insane events. Like the first episode which airs on January 23rd. So by the time this airs, it'll be already out. Um, yeah. But it's on The Last Waltz. There's going to be one on Carrie Strug's Olympic Vault. There's, oh, my God. Which I'm I think getting... was 1996. You remember when she hurt herself? Yes. Yes, I remember. And Bella came and scooped her up. Yeah. And and that was Atlanta. Oh, yeah. 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 I, we could, I could do that one, I think. I know plenty of people that went to the Olympics. Oh, yeah, that's true. There's also going to be one at Garth Brooks hosting SNL as Chris Gaines. Y'all almost oh, forgot about God. this. If you remember, Garth Brooks was killing it in the 90s, then randomly decided to take on the persona of an Australian rock star named Chris Gaines. Oh, my God. Like, was he Australian? Yes. What a weird time to be alive. Oh. And killed it when some that of the was... hosts are comedians too so i think it'll be really funny um and it kind of takes me back to the vh1 i love the 90s type of show mm -hmm. anyway give it a listen first episode airs january 23rd we're recording this on the 18th right now so i haven't heard it but i'm amped to oh my god i am so actually subscribing right now because i am so excited i saw that concept and i was like wait and y'all go follow them. It's H-I-B-A-R-R. -R. Yeah. High Bar. High Bar I don't know Media. if the podcast has its own Instagram. I know yeah, that was his yeah. Instagram for High Bar Media. It is such a cool concept. I'm obsessed. And the trailer has 
um, Nirvana's Unplugged in it. So I have a feeling that's going to be one. And oh, I was going to suggest that to him when we, we did a Zoom last week to catch up. And I was like, I meant to say that, Meg, you need to find someone who is on MTV's Unplugged with Nirvana. I think they will. That is so, I want to know how they do it. I know. That's what's so interesting. And I'm like, this is, while it's a podcast, I'm like, that could be picked up for a reality show easily. I'd It'd be entertaining as hell. Shit out of that. Anyway. If you are into um, pop culture and you're a millennial, whew, run, don't walk. <laughs> That's right. Gen or X. a Gen Xer. Actually, probably especially a Gen Xer. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned MTV Unplugged. We were like <laughs> seven, seven when Kurt Cobain died. <laughs> Not even yet. Yet, he is still my favorite junkie. Anywho, ready to be bummed out today? Yeah. Great. I am telling you the story of Jennifer Aspenson, and boy, is it dark. Sources, Crime Library, Murderpedia, Heavy.com, CoachellaValley.com, a 48 Hours does, a, I mean, a, does an episode on this case, and Jennifer herself. Okay. That's Look right. at that. It's a survival story. My God, just barely. Oh. I know. It's horrible. And I survived as a podcast on it, but from now that I've seen the 48 hours, I'm like, oh, I think I survived podcast may pull the sound bites from 48 hours because it was yeah. pretty much identical. Anywho, Jennifer Aspenson grew up in Morongo Valley, California, which is a small town near Palm Springs. She and her brother didn't grow up with much at all. In fact, her dad moved them and their mother to an empty property where they lived in a double wide trailer that had no electricity or running water. She said it was more like camping than a house. Oh. They ate canned foods. They rarely bathed. It, actually, when it started raining, that was her shower. Oh. So you get the picture. Her dad was an alcoholic, but a nonviolent one. I think that should be noted. He could drink all day long and could still drive home, live life <laughs> as normal, and you would never know he had been drinking. Really? I know. It's very high-functioning. Yeah, very high-functioning. Her mom, on the other hand, was very abusive, not nice to her kids at all. Jennifer's brother was handicapped, and she would often tell Jennifer that God cursed her, and that's why she has terrible children and a handicapped son. Ooh, what a bitch. Mm-hmm. She would also tell Jennifer she would never amount to anything. Just a cruel, cruel bitch. I don't know if Jennifer's listening, and I, I think she agrees. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, yeah, you actually talked to her. Yeah. I don't think she's listening. I don't think she wants to hear the story for the 17th time. I probably wouldn't either, but I forgot when you said that in the source, I'm thinking from an interview on 48 Hours or I Survived. No, y'all, Rebecca actually reached out and talked to her. I reached out. The entire story is not from her. I mean, that is from my research because well, yeah. I'm not going to burden her with when she's like, just fucking look on the internet. Yeah, for real. Um, so really, it's a double survival story because to grow up with that shit and make it out on top is incredible. Let's face it. Yeah, really. In 1992, 19-year-old Jennifer was still living on this property with her family, and she decided her first step to getting the hell out of there was to get a job. She found this facility in the next town over that, that helped physically and mentally challenge people, and she was immediately drawn to it because she was very comfortable around physical and mentally challenged people. They were her brother. She loved the idea of caring for them, hanging out with them all the time, and on top of that, she knew how to take care of them because she was essentially the sole caregiver for her brother. So it was a no-brainer to her. came very naturally. 
She applied for it and got it. And she actually chose the night shift, which was 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. And she loved it. Whoa. She had been working there for about a year and never called in sick, never missed a day. It just wasn't work to her. But eventually they told her she had to take a paid vacation. And she was shocked that they were essentially making her take two weeks off paid. So she used this opportunity to find an apartment. Her parents were fine with her moving out, but said that if she did, she couldn't use their car anymore. And she's like, don't care. Peace out. And she found an apartment with a couple of girls and rent was like 200 bucks a month. So she's amped. It's 1992. I already knew that. Mm -hmm. Thank you. But when her two weeks of vacation was up, it really hit her like, oh, shit, I actually have to find a ride to work. I need to figure this out. And mind you, again, 1992, no Uber, no Lyft, nothing. She asked her friends for a ride and they couldn't do it. So she tried the bus, but it made her very late with all the stops. And I used to ride the bus regularly and you got to time that shit perfectly. And you did it in a big city. The public transit system in most small towns is very hard to rely on. Oh, interesting. We used to have an intern who used to have to take the bus to and from the internship here in Asheville. And like, he would be out there waiting and it's not, not necessarily that they'll be late, but it's just so it's so underused that like the, the waiting times between buses coming is so long. Like eventually I would just go out there and be like, I'm giving you a ride home. Like this is insane. So if you really had somewhere to be sucks. Oh, yeah. I think it's better now. That was like 10 years ago, but still. Even in in a a small town, it's not great. Even in a big city. When I was doing it in D.C., I would come home after work every day to scope out different routes. I would like taking the metro cost me $6 a day and I couldn't afford it. So I would do various (sighs) bus routes to make it as cheap as possible. But it would take like hours to get to work. Anyway, I know. Woe is me. But point being, (laughs) when you're new to it, you got to get creative. Mm-hmm. You got to know the exact bus schedule, the exact stops, all that shit. And sadly, Jennifer just never got the hang of it. And it resulted in her being late three times in a row. And her boss was pissed. On that fourth night, her roommate offered to take her. But when they got in the car, it wouldn't start. So Jennifer frantically ran to the bus stop only to see it zoom right by. Mm. It was a feeling of complete despair. Yeah. Nothing is more stressful than needing to be somewhere and can't get there. Beyond your control. And it's like beyond your control at that point. She stood on the bench and started waving her arms, yelling at the bus to come back. Obviously, buses do not come back. Once they leave, they leave. So she's just screwed. Yeah. Feeling completely defeated. She's thinking about how she's likely going to get fired over this. And just as she's about to tear up, her knight in shining armor pulls up. She hears a man's voice ask if she needs a ride. And without hesitation, she says no, as you do. Even in 1992, her instinct was just no thanks. And desperate. She still was like, nah. Yeah, it's instinct. But when she turns to look at him, he's already pulling away. And without thinking, she blurts out for him to wait. She figured that if he were a creep or a murderer or something, he would have pushed a little bit or been a little bit more persistent. But this guy was like, all right, see ya. So in her desperation, she gets in the car with him. After she gets in the car, his demeanor, his small talk, his kindness completely disarmed her. He was so nice. There was nothing at all scary about him. Or nothing scary in the car. She like did a quick overview, didn't see duct tape, didn't see ropes. She almost felt silly for initially saying no. He asks where she's going. She tells him the town she's going to. And he says he's going there too. And guess what happened next? You'll actually never guess. He goes there. Yep. He <laughs> takes her straight to work and drops her off. Oh, okay. 
Thank you. And Bye-bye. that's the story of how not all people are the worst. But thanks for listening, everyone. Oh, my gosh. Should we do that? Sometimes everyone's small throwing a people are the best. No. Oh, all right. Screw me then, right? Right. No one wants to hear positivity stories. <laughs> follow Tank Good News on Instagram. and you'll Yeah, follow Tank it. Good News if you want some uplifting <sighs> stuff. It's so good. Maybe he really did take her to her job, but not before asking her out to breakfast the next morning. Because remember, she does the late shift from 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. And she tells him she can't because she has a boyfriend, which is a lie. And he jokes like, and your boyfriend doesn't allow you to eat breakfast. So he's kind of funny and charming. And she doesn't want to be rude and flat out tell him that she's not interested. So she agrees to give him her number, but she changed one digit. So it's the wrong number. And after she gives it to him, he kind of jokingly says a bunch of random numbers like 539420832. Okay, tell me that number again to kind of test her. And luckily, because she only changed the one digit, she could easily repeat it back. And he laughed and said he was just checking. Mm, I do not like that. First Mm -hmm. of all, I don't like the response. Your boyfriend doesn't let you eat breakfast. It's cute to try to downplay it, but you know that's weird. Mm -hmm. I I mean, if I were like, hey, Payne, I'm going to go to breakfast with this guy I just met. Like, I'm sorry. That is weird. No, you're not. Second. He's acting, yeah, acting like it's platonic. I'm like, no, we just met. We're not friends. So this is a date. No. Yeah, that's a date. And then the phone number, now you're being a, a little pushy. If mm. I gave you the wrong phone number, it's um, it's a reason. Don't test me. I don't right. like it. Don't like it. Right. She's like, whatever. Chewed my arm out of that bear trap. And she's yeah, that walking was away. Good. Yeah. good for her, though. And as she's walking away, he says, see you in the morning for breakfast. And this dread comes over her. Like, who the hell wants to deal with that after pulling an all-night shift? No one. Oh, that right. too. Yeah, she's working all night. There's the excuse. Uh -uh. Uh-uh. Exhausted. So 6 a.m. rolls around and she walks in the opposite direction of where he dropped her off, trying to avoid him if he so happened to come by. Sure enough, she feels a car slowly driving alongside her. She turns and there he is, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, and says, morning, beautiful, let's go to breakfast. She's clearly annoyed at this point and says she doesn't want to go to breakfast. Like, all she wants to do is go home and sleep, my God. So he says they don't have to go to breakfast, and he offers to give her a ride home instead. And because she's already gotten in the car with him before, she gets in again. She's getting situated with all her stuff, and he's driving, and he brings up the wrong phone number, and his demeanor completely changed. He said very sternly, I called that number, and some old bitch answered. And her mind goes blank. She has, she said she has no thoughts. Her body is completely numb. She is so taken aback by his reaction, and before she knew it, he had quickly pulled over and starts bashing her head into the dashboard. Oh, my God. And when she turns to look at him, she sees knives and a gun on the floorboard beneath him. Jesus. He then takes Twan from underneath his seats, ties her wrist behind her back, and she said this is when she knew her innocence was lost. She had just seen a seemingly normal person turn into a complete monster, and she did not know it could happen that quickly. How old is she? Right now? Yeah, during all this. Oh, during all this, 19. Oh, okay. As she's recapping this in an interview, she's sobbing and her hands are shaking just as they were in that moment in 1992. It's awful. Oh, my God. She didn't know what to do. She thought about kicking the steering wheel and trying to cause a wreck, but at the same time, she still had some hope that maybe this was some weird tactic to scare her and maybe he would just push her out of the car and say, like, never lie to me again or something. It was all maybe just a ruse. Who knows? It happens. My, um boss told me when she was in college in the 70s her and her friend were hitchhiking to some mall and a few guys picked them up and sped right past the mall 
and they started freaking out, crying, begging them to pull over, let them out. And the guys didn't say one word the entire time, just locked the door and kept going. After a few miles, the driver did a U-turn, went back, pulled into the mall parking lot and said, and that's why you never accept a ride from a stranger. I remember you telling me that story. Damn, less lesson be learned. <laughs> no, and she did. Oh, God. It's a risky tactic to pull, but a very effective one. Wow. She never hitchhiked again. Yeah. Anyway, so Jennifer's holding on to that this is some sort of sick joke, but unfortunately it's not. And while they're driving, she tells them that a lot of people know her in that town and will see her in this unknown car and get very suspicious, hoping that he'll be like, this isn't worth it. Get out. But instead, he puts a hat and sunglasses on her and reclines her seat all the way back. And that's when she begins to mentally prepare for the fact that she's likely going to be raped. She thinks that if she tells him it's okay to rape her, though, he won't use the knives or gun. So she goes for it and says, if you want to rape me, you can rape me, but please let me go afterwards. But every word she muttered, he screamed at her to shut the hell up, calling her a whore and all this stuff. So at this point, she's so intimidated, she just cooperates. There's no reasoning with this guy. So she just sits there. But the silence actually works in her favor because she could really concentrate on where they were going. Jennifer knew this town like the back of her hand and said when he made that first turn, she knew exactly where they were and all hope was diminished because she knows where they were turning was away from civilization. He pulls over to an empty road and demanded oral sex, but he couldn't get it up, which pissed him off. So he started beating her and forced her back into the reclined passenger seat and began driving again. She felt them turning again, and this is when she really got scared because she knew the way he was going was even more of a desolate area. It was a part of the desert where apparently trash was everywhere. There was nothing out there, no houses, no people. She said her and her friends actually used to joke about this creepy area and be like, can you imagine if your car broke down out here? You'd be screwed. Yeah. Oh, gosh. He finally stopped the car just as the sun was coming up, which, by the way, imagine being in a silent car kidnapped for hours. Like, such a long time to think about your inevitable demise oh gosh so fucking scary he took her seatbelt off leaned her seat back up took off the hat and sunglasses and became very violent started beating her with her own shoes then he tried to take off her sweatshirt but realized her hands were still bound so he couldn't get it off so he stuck his knife underneath the sweatshirt and with a flick of the wrist cut her bra off oh my god sharp freaking knife yeah he did the same thing to her jean shorts, cut them off, cut her underwear off, balled them up and put them in her mouth so far down her throat. She initially thought that's how she was going to die, either by suffocation or choking on her own throw up. Oh, yeah. Oh, then God. he tied the bra around her mouth to gag her and to keep <sighs> the underwear in there. I'm dying. This is mm-hmm. awful. Mm-hmm. He was on top of her just staring at her and she said his eyes looked like black holes and at this point, she almost wished he would kill her because she knew if she, she survived, she would never be the same again. He starts strangling her and then demanding that she say, I love you. God, okay. what happened to you as a child? I mean, for real. She doesn't say it right away because she's so caught off guard and trying to process what the hell he's talking about. And mind you, her underwear is still shoved in her mouth. So she just sits there and he starts yelling at her to say it and pulls the underwear out of her mouth and then gets really excited at the idea of her saying it. Oh my God, I'm, I'm, li- I'm picturing it and it is stressing me out. I know. Like and at the same giddy. time, he's getting angry that she's not saying it, but really exciting that she might say it. Terrified. Oh God. Evil lunatic asking for love. It's petrifying. Yeah. So she quickly blurts out, I love you. And he punched her in the face because it didn't sound genuine. 
Take what oh you can God. get, asshole. I hope this guy's dead. Oh, you'll see. So she says it again, and it's still not good enough, so he starts beating her. And mind you, not only does she obviously not mean it, but she said her family never said that. They are very unemotional, so she's not even sure how to fake it. It's a very unfamiliar phrase to her. Oh, my God, that is so sad. Heartbreaking. So he's yelling at her that she doesn't mean it, so she looked deep into his black, soulless eyes, and as sincerely as she could, said it a third time, and he finally believed her. Gets very excited and begins raping her. But again, he loses his re- erection. He's getting pissed, so she's trying to defuse the situation by telling him it's not a big deal. It happens all the time, which unfortunately doesn't work because he began strangling her again, and it was the most aggressive grip yet. She was completely helpless and began preparing to die and remembers in her head that she told everyone in the world she loved them and that she would be okay. And then she felt this wave of relaxation and calmness, and it went black. I got chills. Now this shit is crazy and cool. Really cool. Oh my God. After she passed out, she could hear something that sounded like really pretty singing, but not exactly singing. It's kind of hard to describe, I guess, but. I have chills. I know. All she could see was white. She said she felt reborn. And then all of a sudden she's above the car watching this man strangle her, but she felt nothing but love. (sighs) She knew it was her being strangled. But she had no empathetic connection to any of it. She had no hatred for him, no sadness for herself. She knew that's how she died, but there were no emotions attached to it. And while she knew this was death, she said in our email exchange that she had never felt more alive in her life. She was no longer shaking. She, was, she had no more questions about anything at all in life. She was at complete peace. She said it was literally the best feeling she had ever felt. Oh, how incredible. That's not the first account of something like that. When people are so near death mm-hmm. that they experience something like that and then wake up or whatever happens. <gasps> I know. Oh, gosh. I, I hope it's all legit. And it kind of reminds me our it kind of reminds me of what the priest said at Jackie's funeral. Our friend oh. who died in a um, plane crash in 2015. At her funeral, the priest said, and it's always stuck with me. I don't know why. But he said, it's funny. When you're born into this world, you're crying and everyone's rejoicing. But when you die and leave this world, everyone's crying and you're rejoicing. And it always made me feel so much better. And it reigns true. I I teared up a little bit. Me too. Jennifer experienced this and it's true. It's just so crazy. And I love it. Oh, I like that. I know. Then she was suddenly jolted back in life as he's bashing her head on the side of the car. It's as if she went from hell to heaven. Now she's back in hell and she just wanted to get back to that place. But here she is. She's fully awake now and he starts sucking on her neck and she feels a ton of spit and slobber just going down her chest. I'm going to remove my headphones. Uh, That's fair. You wave your hands when you're done with this bullshit. What? When he looks up at her. His face is covered in blood, and he has a little piece of skin in his teeth. I'm going to vomit. He wasn't sucking on her neck. He was biting her, trying to take a chunk out of her flesh. Ew. Fucking terrifying. Who is this guy? You will see. He then drags her out of the car, and they're in the middle of the desert. But in the far distance, she sees cars. He goes to the trunk and pulls out a big bag of knives, and her heart drops. All she's thinking is, I don't want to die this way. 
I do not want to be stabbed. Like that's too painful. No fucking way. So while her hands are still bound, she decides to run towards the cars, knowing she'll never reach them, but she's hoping he'll just shoot her in the back. Oh God. As she's running, she, something strikes her in the back of her head and she's knocked down. He did not shoot her. He caught her by her hair and yanked her backwards. Wait, why can't the car see her? They're just too far away. Too far away. Okay. And your hands are bound. You can't run that fast. You need that. Oh, yeah. You need your arms. You need your arms to run. Wow. He starts dragging her back to the car by her hair and demands oral sex. And she sees another opportunity to piss him off so he'll shoot her. And she point blank says no. Ooh. Then tells him to fuck off, calls him a moron, a pervert. He grabs the gun and she says, good, kill me. I don't care. He sticks it in her mouth and holds it in there. And for every second that goes by, she knows he's not going to pull the trigger. He wants to torture her more. And she's exactly right. He pulls the gun out of her mouth and shoves her in the trunk. She starts praying out loud to God for God to help her, either by taking her life or to set her free so she can escape. And in this moment, she felt this massive rush of adrenaline and the twine around her wrist snaps. She's free. Hell yeah. Mm-hmm. That's why I thought that was a weird choice because you can break. T- I mean, it's strong and it hurts. Mm-hmm. But you could break that. Clearly. Clearly. But she's exhausted from fighting. And now she's starting to think about all the weapons he has. She doesn't know if she could ever win this fight. So actually, she attempts to strangle herself with the twine. But it did nothing. She is way too weak at this point. And he strangled her so much already that it it really did nothing. Oh, my God. Thank God it it didn't do anything, though, because... I know, but imagine being in that place. I know. know. This is such a bummer. I know. It's so dark. So as she's laying there and her eyes are adjusting to the darkness, she sees a little slit of cloth and she sticks her finger in it and it's the latch to the trunk. Oh, my God. She rips the cloth further and she's able to stick her entire hand in there and unlatches it and holds the trunk closed so it doesn't fly open. She said this all came very natural to her, like as if she's done it a million times. I'm like, survival mode, man, makes you fucking MacGyver. Oh, my God. Yeah, I hope I have this. I I think as humans, we all do. I hope. They're going fast. So she assumes they're on a highway and cars are likely around, which is great because she's like, I don't even have to tuck and roll. I'm just going to let this trunk go. Someone will see me and she'll be saved. But when she lets it go, he immediately pulls over and she sees not a car in sight. He jumps out and quickly shuts it and jumps on it to make sure it's closed. I think he thought it was human error and he didn't shut it all the way the first time because he didn't even bother to check on her and see that her hands were free. He just quickly closed it and got back into the car and hits the gas. Except now, Rach, the tires just spin. Oh. He is stuck in the sand. So they're just like in the desert. In the desert around. Because she's in the trunk and it's pitch black dark, all her other senses are heightened and she's listening to everything. She can tell when he's looking around at his surroundings because he's constantly yelling at her and the volume of his, of his voice changes when his head turns left to right. Damn. Uh, so she listened to that. Then he would stop yelling, press on the gas, and the tires would spin. So she starts making notes like, okay, he's focused on the car right now. Okay, he's focused on me right now. And he did it in such a routine that she knew when he was about to put his focus back on the car. So when he did, she quickly unlatched that trunk again and jumped out. But her hand was stuck in the slot where the latch was. What? She's trying to quickly wiggle it out, and she sees the driver's side door whip open, and she yanks it free and starts hauling ass. I'm so stressed out. 
And again, you can run a lot faster with your hands free. So she is Speedy Gonzalez and she sees a car coming. So <sighs> that adrenaline will make you run even faster. She reaches the car, begins clawing at it, the window's down, it's an old couple. She's pulling on their side mirror, she's hitting the car, oh, everything no. you could do. And the woman in the passenger seat is looking behind her, then looks at Jennifer and screams at her husband to gun it, and they speed <gasps> away. Well, yeah. I speed away. Oh, God. Defeated as shit, Jennifer turns around to see how far she's gotten from her attacker, and he is running down the middle of the road with a machete over his head. And the couple saw that? The couple saw that. That's why they sped away so fast, we think. But you're in the car. I know. Oh, I'm so mad at that couple. I know. I get a scary sight to see. Sure, but when you see what she's likely running from. Yeah. Yeah, let her jump in. I know. You don't even have to or stop. Run that Slow guy. down enough. Yeah, or do a UE and let's maul that guy over. Yeah. Do something to stop the situation. You stay safe in your car. Yeah. Like, the guy with the machete is probably the, the scary one. Mow mm -hmm. over. Let's Not the it. person running from him, right? Who's bloody right. at this point. Mm -hmm. and naked know, from the waist down naked and definitely beat up yeah, yeah. So, so she decides fuck it the next car i see i'm running in front of it screw trying to flag him down i'm just gonna get hit mm -hmm. and lo and behold a truck makes his way towards her she mm -hmm. runs towards it in the middle of the road screaming flailing her arms and then she shuts her eyes and braces for impact and all of a sudden she hears screeching of their brakes i would hope so <laughs> yeah because you don't want to get hit by a giant truck tell you that right now right they stopped and told her to get in she's screaming that the, a guy attacked her he has a knife he strangled her and before they could act on it the attacker was driving away and these men haul ass after him but Aww. jennifer's like wait don't i don't know about this he has a gun and when she says that they're like okay let's call the police instead so they yeah. just watch him get away they took her to a local gas station so she could call the police. And on the way, the reality of what's happening is really setting in. And she's thinking, holy shit, this is a big deal. Once everyone finds out I survived this attack, my world's going to change. Everyone's going to console me. I'll probably be on the news. Like, this is about to be a big fucking deal. And I'm so sad to report it was not the case at all. Oh, EMS and police come to the gas station. And when she's on the gurney about to go to the hospital, she sees her mom leaning up against the cop car and she cries out to her. Her mom casually strolls up, Pepsi in hand, and Jennifer no. reaches out crying that she's been kidnapped and almost killed. And her mom pulls Jennifer's cl clenched hand from her arm and says, that's what you get for hitchhiking, walks away and leaves. What? Your child is clenching onto your arm and you force her fingers up to be released Why'd you even come down here, bitch? And you walk away. Why'd you come down here, bitch? Now I'm probably to stay face. The police called her. She has to act like a caring mother. Well, did they see that? Um, don't worry. They don't care either. Now I hope two people in this story are dead. <laughs> you will see. Am I going to want anyone else dead? Are we going to spit on a grave today? Are You'll we see. spitting? Okay. And the ambulance... They were focused on her physical injuries, but it was nothing compared to the psychological damage, which Jennifer said could have been healed with one hug, but no one would give her one. I'm signing off. Y'all, oh, don't no. worry. People are the worst is now fiction. This is not true. Don't oh, worry. Oh, no, it's so upsetting. No. And to make it worse, the police don't believe her. 
we're signing off from here on out. I know. I only tell you these things because I know it and I can't unhear it. And misery loves company. So if I know it, y'all have to know it. But and she survived and she's good now, right? Well, just get don't there. worry. I'll okay. get there. God. The police never say they don't believe her, but instead of listening to her story, they're giving her like alternative scenarios as to what happened. Like, so your boyfriend picked you up from work. Y'all got in a fight. He tossed you around a bit. Mm. She's like, no, he is not my boyfriend. He's a stranger who held me captive and attacked me. Look at my fucking neck. I have a chunk of skin missing. They also asked her how she got to the gas station. She says, these two men, I told them exactly what happened. I fly down two men and they dropped me off. And they're like, well, no one saw you with two men. Wait, did they just drop her off and leave? They dropped her off, which I know they should have probably stayed to give a statement, but I guess guess they didn't. And maybe they anticipated the police would fucking believe her. But because they didn't, it made everyone in town, including her parents, not believe her either. Even her friends would jokingly call her Crazy Jen. Whoa! Screw everyone. Everyone sucks. Wow. She goes to the hospital to get a rape kit. And she's thinking about how this is not at all going how she expected. And she cannot believe that no one is proud of her. I am sorry. I'm sorry. I want to give her a hug. Jennifer, if you are listening, I know you know this by now, but there are thousands of listeners right now who are proud of you. And she knows Um, that because things do change. Don't worry. Everyone eats crow. You will see. Oh, God. Thank God. But it screwed with her mind so much that she was almost convinced that maybe they were right and none of that happened. So she simply stopped talking about it. How isolating. I mean. And bottling something that traumatic up inside is bound to have damaging effects, and it did. She was once standing with her friends talking, and she started shaking uncontrollably and just collapsed. She woke up in a mental institution, and she could hear the doctors outside her room. That's the girl who said she was kidnapped. So Wait, no one is on what her is side. What is happening? It's insane. It's unfucking believable. They even told her that she's schizophrenic. All this stuff. Wow. Crazy. Oh, I'm getting heated. I'm getting pissed. My ha- my chest is getting splotchy. I'm so pissed. And worked like, up. Like they've never heard of this. Ha- someone being attacked and kidnapped and all. She's right. the first they've ever heard of this. In right. 1992. Like what are you talking about? No. Why can't it he- be true? The 80s were riddled with serial killers and rapists. Come on. This is not unheard of. It's unbelievable. But because she was suffering from such anxiety over what happened, she actually found solace in the mental hospital because it meant that that monster couldn't get to her. So whenever she was out and in the real world and her anxiety got the best of her, she would readmit herself to the hospital just to get a good night's sleep. And when she wasn't able to do that and she had to spend the night at home, she felt safest sleeping on the roof of her house so no one could get to her. Oh, like, my God. So fucking sad. And they're not even investigating it, I guess. Yeah. He's no, just, she made it up. As wow. the years went by, she suffered in silence and wrote the entire incident off as a weird episode she hallucinated and tried to ignore the nightmares and the crippling PTSD she suffered from, just blocking that part of her life out completely. And the only reason they don't believe her is just because it sounds out of the ordinary. Yeah. Like, that she couldn't have. Okay. And I'm like, did they put on the news station? Like, did those two guys hear it? I know there there are a few towns over from that point, at that point. But I wonder if they could find those two guys to be like. Right. Or the old people people to come forward. Like, no, there was. Yeah, because the old people actually saw him with the machete. The two guys just saw him get in his car. 
but they didn't care know. enough to do that, I guess. Nope. Fast forward to April 1996. Across the country, 25-year-old Laura Ulacki was found stabbed several times, shot in the head with a 38 caliber handgun, and dumped naked in Wolf Lake right outside Chicago. As they looked into her background, they found that she was from, they found out she was from Hammond, Indiana, which is 30 minutes south of Chicago, but they had no suspects at the time. Three months later, Cassandra Corum was found floating in a river, handcuffed, same thing, she was naked, stabbed, and shot. They found out she was also from Hammond, Hammond, Indiana. Hmm. And side note, he actually went on a date with Cassandra's best friend, Donica Kaufman. And before they found Cassandra's body, he helped Donica pass out missing persons posters. She said he even cried with her. Ew. Oh, the mo- the monster who did this to Jennifer? Yeah, did you not see what that was? Well, that yeah, was I did, but you just didn't outright say it. Yeah, I get it. So, yeah. yeah, okay. Clearly, he's he's responsible for these as well. Ooh, that's yeah. interesting. The following month, in August of 1996, Lynn Huber's body was found floating in the same lake, Wolf Lake, she had been stabbed multiple times and shot multiple times with a 38 caliber. All three women were sex workers in the Chicago area, so they knew it had to be the same guy, and there was a serial killer on the loose. Another sex worker came forward to police, good for you, girl, mm-hmm. and she said she had a client who wanted to handcuff her and take her to Wolf Lake for anal sex, but she already knew about these other victims and said hell no and did not accept his advances, somehow getting away. Oh. Luckily, he gave his real name, and he was identified Andrew Yurdialis. Ooh. Police looked him up in the system and found he lives in Chicago and was recently arrested for having a concealed weapon, a 38 caliber handgun. Hey, mm. uh. Detectives retrieved the gun from Andrew and test the ballistics, and wouldn't you know it, they matched the same ballistics from the crime scene of all three victims. Perf. And in case you're new to true crime, or maybe you just don't know, ballistics are, you know, the mechanics of the flight path the bullet takes, including how it travels down the barrel, how it passes through the air, the impact to a target, etc. No two guns have the same ballistics. As my husband says, it's the fingerprint for the gun. Bullet science. Bullet science. Chicago police arrested him, and as they're putting him in the squad car, he says, by the way, you need to call Palm Springs Police Department because I've killed a bunch of people out there too. Oh, okay. I love a cocky son of a bitch. Me too. Keep talking. Don't we all? In 1986, Robin Branley was found stabbed multiple times on Saddleback College campus in Mission Viejo, California. Robin was walking to her car when she was approached by Andrew and stabbed 41 times. Nothing was stolen. She wasn't sexually assaulted. Zero ties to this this victim, which is why it almost went unsolved. They had no idea why this happened or who did it. 1988, Julie McGee was a 29-year-old woman who was killed in Palm Springs and same things. No ties to her. Nothing was taken. She wasn't sexually assaulted. She was killed with a 38 caliber, but sadly it took a while to identify her because coyotes had mutilated the body. Oh, God. Mm -hmm. Two months later, a woman named Marianne Wells was found in San Diego. She was murdered with a 45 caliber, so not the same gun, which is why they did not connect any of these murders. And very easily, this could have gone unsolved, too. 1989, a man was walking through the desert in Palm Springs and found a body of 18-year-old Tammy Irwin. She had been shot multiple times by a 45 caliber, and the detective said he remembers how her body was positioned and how much blood was coming out of everywhere, and it just struck him how discarded she was. It was literally like someone threw her out like trash. He gets emotional talking about it. Oh. 
1995, Denise Maney was found dead with her hands bound and she had several injuries. Her throat was slit, she was stabbed too many times to count, and was shot from a gun that was placed in her mouth. So the back of her head was blown off. My oh. God, the overkill. Any one of those would have killed her. Yeah. Andrew later said that he forced Denise to give him oral sex, but she but he wasn't satisfied with it. So he sodomized her. And when she screamed in agony, he forced her into the desert. Oh my God. I guess so no one would hear her. But she wasn't being fast enough. So he stuck the gun in her mouth to threaten her. And it, quote, went off. And he says that about a few victims. Like, he won't say, I shot her. He says, the gun went off. Or <laughs> next thing I knew, the knife went into her back. No, oh, you stabbed okay. her. Or yeah. we had sex. No, you raped no. her. So after Denise was on the ground gurgling after the gun, quote, went off, she's clearly dying, and he gets in his car and leaves. But for some reason, he said he had the urge to go back. And when he does and he approaches her, he is overwhelmed with anger. He has what? no idea what came over him. He just saw red and began stabbing her, slitting her throat and beating her. He doesn't know what set him off. Okay. So Wow. These all appeared to be isolated murders and every single one went cold until 1997 when Chicago PD called Palm Springs PD to tell them they just arrested a guy named Andrew Yurdialis and he's talking about all these murders he's committed. And from what this guy is saying, the Palm Springs detective is just like checking off these cold cases in his head. Like, oh my holy God. shit, that's Denise Maney. Holy shit, that's Tammy Irwin. Yeah. And then, of course, his final confession. Oh, hell An yeah. attack he made to a girl named Jennifer Aspenson in 1992, giving police her full name and her parents' address. Her full story was finally corroborated by the monster who did it. This was four years later. Five. Five years later. He so, knew her full name? Yeah. Whoa. So let's first talk about Andrew. He's originally from Chicago, and there's not a lot on his childhood, but I did read that shortly before his 13th birthday, he beat the family dog to death with a baseball bat and told his parents that the animal had been fatally injured from a fall. Oh, what? Yeah. And his parents were like, oh, bummer. Yeah, I guess. Um, he was a Marine Corps veteran stationed in Oceanside, California, and would regularly leave base, solicit a sex worker, murder her, then return to base. He said during this time, he fell in love with a 15-year-old and got her pregnant and oh. said he would have kept the baby and married her, but he was scared that the military and her parents wouldn't see it as love and there would be backlash. So instead, they decided to get an abortion. Okay. Okay. No, you're right. They would not see that as love. They would see it as pedophilia. Yeah. Because if you're in love with a 15-year-old, that's a problem. That's a big, rapey problem. <laughs> they wouldn't see it as love. No, no they sure I, wouldn't. I can guarantee you that's, they wouldn't. You know who else went in the state of California? He yeah. would be in jail. I'm not sure exactly how old he was during this time. He was stationed in California from 84 to 91. So anywhere well, between 20 and 27. That's Disgusting. good enough for me. Yep. Gross. After he left the Marines, he moved back home to Chicago, where he got a job as a security guard and continued his murder spree. Palm Springs detectives flew to Chicago to interview him, and he gave every detail as if each murder was yesterday. He was giving them the material and color of the victim's shoes, the color oh. of their underwear, any tattoos they had, down to what their jewelry looked like. Detectives were like shuffling through old crime scene photos trying to keep up. Sure enough, he nailed every last item. Five years after her attack, Jennifer, who had a daughter at this point, gets a knock on her door from police 
And they asked her if she's seen the news or listened to the radio. And she says no. And they ask her to come with them to the police station. When she gets there, she sits down and the detective says, something happened to you in 1992. And she initially did not know what he was talking about. That's how far convinced she was that she made it up. Was it the same group of detectives from 1992? I hope so. And I hope they had a big old, I'm sorry, banner when she walked in. Of course they didn't, Rach. Well, some admit they're mistakes. They do. They're not all. I'm actually not sure if she got an apology or if it was the same ones. Not sure. But that's how far off, like, that's how successful she was at blocking it out. Oh, my God. Poor thing. He goes on to say, you were kidnapped in 1992, right? And she says, yeah. And they tell her to close her eyes and they're going to lay out a bunch of pictures in front of her. She opens them and immediately pushes her attacker's picture towards them. They ask if she's sure. She says 100%. And they say, well, his name is Andrew Yerdialis. He's a serial killer who murdered eight women and attacked one that got away. You. Jennifer is the only surviving victim. And she is finally validated. I'm so glad she remembered what he looked like. I like, know. To push it so far away. I know. Easily could have been like, I don't know. I know. It's Ooh, incredible. Go, girl. But I'm sure that picture just it came yeah, rushing yeah. back. Yeah. Clearly. The mixed emotion she felt. She was pissed. No one believed her. Relieved that they believed her now. Sad for the victims. Glad she wasn't crazy. And above all else, survivor's guilt. Oh. She testified in court, though, which she found very powerful. She was yeah. honored to speak on behalf of those victims. During his first trial, she kept trying to make eye contact with them, but he wouldn't look at her. As she spoke, he just doodled on a piece of paper. But towards the end of the trial, when the courtroom was out of order and a little chaotic, he would have a stare down with her. I assumed to try to intimidate her while people weren't paying attention. <laughs> but she gave it right back to him, and he broke first every time because he's a pussy. And, like, she totally has the upper hand. Right. She, free. He's a oh, he's prisoner of the going state. To jail. He just wants to get in her head one last time. He's sick. Yeah. Overall, prosecuting each case in Illinois and in California took a total of 16 years. And what? as the only witness, Jennifer testified at every single one. She wanted to give a voice to each of the victims, and she rocked it. Oh, my God. Jennifer, that's awesome. I know. The district attorney, Matt Murphy, says he's a huge Jennifer fan, noting that she has a tattoo that says warrior, and that's a great description of her. She is a warrior and a badass. And this warms my heart, which I'm so glad I got to tell her this, but she also got to tell the family members of each victim about her nearly fatal moment in the desert that day so that they know that their loved one's final moment was peaceful and happy and wonderful and not at all painful. That's her purpose. That's her purpose. She got to tell them that. Oh, that's Can you believe How oh. much better would you feel? I love that. I told her yeah. that. I was like, that is, I love that you got to tell them that. Oh, my God. In 2002, Yerdy Alice received the death penalty in Illinois. 2003, it was commuted to life in prison. 2004, it was commuted back to death and then switched back to life in prison in 2011. What's going on? When capital punishment was officially banned in Illinois. Flip-flop, flip-flop. He was then extradited to California to face charges there. And in 2018, he was sentenced to death and sent to good old San Quentin. San Quentin, here we come. We got another one for you. Yep. One month later, correctional officers found him hanging in a cell. I'm done. Good riddance, asshole. No. That pisses me off. Oh, I know. But it doesn't piss Jennifer off. We'll get there, too. But Uh, Oh, okay, fine. 
she's at peace, I'm at peace. Oddly enough, though, he was not the only death row inmate in San Quentin to die by suicide that day. They also found Varendra Govan, who was convicted of strangling four family members in his Hollywood Hills home in 2002. CPR was administered to both him and Andrew, but it was too late. They were both pronounced dead within minutes of each other. Hectic hmm. night there in San Quentin. Where, where are you at, guards? What? I know. Isn't that crazy? Wow. The day Jennifer heard the news that Andrew was dead was the day her nightmares about him stopped. For almost oh, okay. 30 years, she had a nightmare about him almost every day. And the moment he died, they stopped. Oh, good. She has a memoir called Girl in the Treehouse, which is dedicated to, quote, the eight angels in heaven whom I've never met but know very well. I oh, just, she is so chills again. No, she is so well spoken. Like every interview I heard, her emails to me, this book, she's beautiful speaker and writer. Yeah. She said she's the most positive person she knows. If she could go back and do it again, she wouldn't change a thing. She would get in the car with them. She would do it all over again because she feels much more good came out of it than bad. She's oh. strong. She's unbreakable. And she is our badass survivor this week. And now for the burning question that I could not sleep until I got answered. Okay. Did her mom apologize? Oh. Mm. The answer? No. My <gasps> mom never apologized. She even started referring to Andrew as Jennifer's boyfriend. What? I saw your boyfriend on TV today. Oh, wait. So even after it was all confirmed? Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. What's also, wrong with her? She also spread a rumor that Jennifer had AIDS because of the incident. What? According to her mom, people who get raped usually get AIDS. So she just assumed Jennifer had it. Okay. Are you wait. outside your fucking mind? She is. What's wrong with her? I don't know. Jennifer said that really upset her, but she lost her job over it because they worked at the same company. So that's good. Oh, her mom and her worked at the same company? Yeah, eventually. Crazy, huh? So she like maintained a job. Like there, I'm just... It's I'm, unbelievable. She died okay. in 2007. And I, look, I don't... How? Cancer. Uh, not to be awful, <laughs> not to speak of the dead. I don't know anything about her mom's childhood or upbringing. Um, but good riddance to her too. I'm not trying mm -hmm. to be judgmental, but as human, I'm judging the shit out of her. Yeah, I don't regret saying that I wish you were dead. Yes, she is. God, they both are. But they both are. How um, horrible is that? I hope Jennifer knows that people are proud of her and they do love her. Oh, Especially my God. that daughter. I bet she dotes on that little baby girl. I it mean, changed her world. She said that's when it became easy to kind of forget the past. She could focus yeah. on her daughter all was well. Oh, that's so good. I know. Okay, I have a few new patron shout outs. Holly, Jacinta, Stephanie, Deanna, Emily, Allison, Tara, and Lolo. Hey, welcome. Oh. Thank you for joining. Hey and a there. custom shout out from Francesca. I oh. wanted to custom shout out and surprise my sweet angel girlfriend, Millie. Everyone else is the worst, but she is definitely the best. I'm the luckiest girl and I'm grateful every day. Yo, so that's nice. We're getting so many nice couple shout outs. That's great. I mean, which is a good note to end on. So I like um, I like doing the Patreon shout yeah. outs at the end. Totally. Um, well, thank you all so much for listening. You are the best. People are the worst. Bye.